Hey, you got a Bible within arm's reach? Uh, let's turn a page 869 together. It's where you can find Luke chapter 11. And while you are turning there, let me ask you a question. It's a yes or no question. It's a personal question. It's a personal question, and you don't have to raise your hand. Uh, this is sort of like a secret ballot sort of thing. And the question is this. Do you feel like your prayer life is good enough? Yes or no? Do you feel like your prayer life is good enough? I mean, maybe you made a commitment as the year began, and, you know, six days in, you feel like you're just nailing it, right? As it's an early in the morning, you're on your knees next to your bed, you know, praying to Jesus, and uh, it's lunchtime, and you're on your break, and you're praying to Jesus morning and noon and night. You're on your knees next to your bed. It's like an hour, and it's so rich, and it's deep. Maybe you're killing it. Maybe you're like most of us, and you're not. I mean, if you even pray at all, for that matter. Uh, because I think most of us, most of the time, as Christian people, if you are a Christian, live with this sort of low-level spiritual guilt. That we don't pray enough. We don't pray often enough. It's not deep enough that there's something missing in our prayer life, and it's probably our fault. And I want you to know that if you're over here, you're in good company. I mean, even the disciples themselves, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, show us how to pray. What, what should we say? What should our prayer life be like? If you got your Bible open, Luke chapter 11, it says this. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. I find this fascinating because they could have asked Jesus for a lot of other things. As far as we know in the Gospels have recorded for us, this is the only time they asked Jesus for help in their spiritual life. They could have asked him to help them learn how to read the Bible or have a rich you know, spiritual life that's so vibrant that they're just so excited to share their faith. He, they don't ask him to be better witnesses or how to do better miracles. The thing that they ask him for is so fundamental. We take it for granted, perhaps, ourselves today. They ask him to help them pray. And he gives them this prayer. Notice the way that he responds. He doesn't condemn them. Christian in the room, he doesn't condemn you for the depth or the frequency of your prayer life. He gives them this prayer. We're going to take a close look at it starting today and over the next few weeks of our time together. Uh, in the middle of February, this series will conclude as we're looking at the prayer often called Our Father. Uh, we're going to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the day that Our Father was chosen as a name for this Lutheran church. Here's what I want to do today. We're going to look at the opening words. Martin Luther calls them the introduction and the first petition, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We're going to talk about prayer itself, how we call upon the name of the Lord. I want to talk about two things. Number one, the why and the what of prayer. The reasons that we pray. What is sort of the default way in which we pray, and what are some of the reasons that we don't pray. We'll talk about those things. And then we're going to talk about what to say when we 
do pray. So we have here a why and a what. Let's start with the why. Imagine that you're sitting next to a campfire and you're sitting in your camp chair. Probably had this experience. It's Colorado after all. And, uh, you know, you're in your chair. Fire dies down just a little bit. Starts to get kind of chilly. It's cold outside. And what do you do with your chair? Are you kind of stand up sort of halfway, right? And you kind of grab the armrests and you kind of do the, the shuffle. You pull the chair up behind you, sit down. And you've been leaning forward so you're close to the fire. It feels close enough. And then by the time you sit down and you lean back in your chair, it still feels a little too cold. And so uh, you stand up, you pull it forward a little further, and then you sit down and you're still, now it's, you're too hot because you moved too close. And then what do you do? You scoot back shuffle back with your chair, right? Forward, back, hot, cold. I think that's the way that we pray. Sort of the default motivation of the human heart is to draw near to God when things are hard and our prayer life heats up. Pray more frequently, more often. And maybe not just for ourselves, but for the people that we care about. And then things go well again. Then what happens? Our prayer life cools off. And when we pray like that, the default motivation of our heart, the the thing that that moves us near him is our distress. It's coming to God to get things from him, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing that our prayer life heats up when things aren't going well until it's the only thing that motivates us to pray to him. That is so often why we pray. Let's talk for a moment. Let's flip the script and talk about reasons why we don't pray. Because I think there's a difference between praying to God out of our distress, good thing. It's an entirely altogether different thing to avoid praying to him out of despair. What do I mean by that? I think it's very normal for us to wonder about our prayers when we pray. You know, say, God, I think you're listening, but I'm not sure if you are. Why aren't you answering the prayer in the way that I wish you would? Say, Lord, maybe there's something wrong with the way that I'm praying for that matter. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe you've been praying for a while for something and God hasn't said yes at all. Maybe it doesn't seem good at all. Maybe, maybe you've given up altogether. I think there's a difference in our distress when those questions pop up in our head to kind of shoo them away like flies. It's a whole thing altogether in our despair. to leave those questions unanswered and to sit in them without letting the truth of the scripture speak to them. Our despair is one thing that pulls us from him. The other side of that coin of things that cause us not to pray to him is not our despair, but our pride. What do I mean by that? I mean, I'm talking about being too busy. Because I know you wake up in the morning, you're like me, and the alarm clock goes off, you got things to do, a day to start, kids to take care of, dog to let out, whatever it may be. And you f- kind of forget, oh yeah, sometimes you're laying in bed, and at the end of the day, you go, I, I didn't think about praying. You're too busy. The other thing, in this case here, is that we're too self-reliant. I mean, how many of us 
so often won't begin to pray until we've tried it ourselves to figure out some sort of solution and then we kind of get to the end of our strength and our ability and say well I guess we should be praying about this and then you get on the phone or you, you text some friends say this is something that could you be praying for this as if there's sort of some magic number of people that we need to summon and then God will begin to hear our prayer and we're you know when it comes to our pride we're too busy we're too self-reliant reasons why we may pray out of distress reasons why we don't pray out of despair and pride I'd like to offer you instead two different reasons to pray that come right out of the scriptures which I think are better than the ones on the screen behind me the first one is because Christ says so he's given us a command and I think that ought to matter Uh, Look with me. You see what he says sort of at the end of our text, verse 9? He says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. These are imperatives. You notice that? They're commands. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. The command of Jesus ought to matter to you more than it may if you're not praying very often. Here's the way Paul says it. He says, Don't be anxious about anything. You say, Well, okay, Paul, you know, easy for you. You're Paul but in everything. Not some things. Not when you're not busy and you finally have time. Not when you are finally at the end of your own strength and ability. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests, it's way stronger in the original language, more directive than it may sound in English here. Let your requests be made known to God. This command doesn't just make us feel guilty. It may. So often when we hear the commands of God in the commandments, it's so easy to stack ourselves up against them and feel like we're falling short. Here, this is a different kind of command, though. It it is a command, but it's a kind of command that makes you bold to come to him in prayer because he invites you to come to him in prayer. It cuts right through the doubts and the despair and the questions and the distress. You feel like, well, I'm not really sure what I should say. He says, I've got words for you. You're not sure if you're good enough. You're not sure if you're worthy. He says, it's my worth that makes you worthy. It's my goodness that makes you good. You haven't been praying very often. He says, pull up a chair. Warm yourself up in the presence of my love. Because his command isn't only a command alone. His command comes with a promise. You notice that? What do we find? At the end of the command of Jesus, at each one he gives us a promise. Now, Imagine for a moment if I had tickets to tonight's Nuggets game. I said, I've got four seats for you. They're courtside seats. All you need to do is ask me for them. And uh, I think it's the Timberwolves who are in town tonight. They're at the top of the Western Conference. It'd be a good game to see. Uh, But imagine if it weren't the Timberwolves who were in town. Imagine if the defending world champion Denver Nuggets were playing the Miami Heat, who were in town. Uh, the, they beat the Miami Heat in five games in the NBA Finals last summer. It'd be a matchup of the championship game. And I said, I've got four seats courtside. Just ask me for them. Well, so what if you said, okay, I'll take you up on your offer, Pastor Nate. Uh, 
And instead of four tickets to the Nuggets game in the envelope, when you opened it up and found the tickets, were not tickets to the Nuggets game against the Heat. But even worse, what if you found four tickets to the nosebleed section of the Broncos game today? <laughs> and, okay, maybe you get excited about that. They're playing the Raiders rivalry game, conference game. Uh, let me just tell you this. Uh, both teams... Uh, will not make the playoffs. They've been eliminated. Uh, it's the last game of the regular season, which means that none of the regular starters are going to play. Uh, it's going to be cold outside. It's 37 degrees and cloudy this afternoon when the kickoff will take place at 2.25 p.m. Jesus says, this is essentially what's, what he's describing at the end of our text in Luke chapter 11. Uh, look with me. At verse 11 of chapter 11, he says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, who are inclined to be selfish, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Jesus says, <laughs> He's essentially saying this. He says, My dad, good dad, and he has something way better than Bronco tickets for you. Do you believe, first of all, that He's a good Father? He's better than your earthly father. If you haven't had a very good one here on earth, he's better than that. And do you trust his promise? Remember the commands that list we just looked at a few moments ago? Look once more. When he says, ask, it'll be given. And when you seek, you'll find him. Uh, if you're taking notes, write down Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 12 and 13. Jesus says, or the, the prophet Isaiah says, speaking for God, if, if you seek me with all your heart, you'll be found by me, declares the Lord. And when you knock, it'll be open for you. Do you believe that? Look at what Paul says. Uh, right after he gives us that command, let's go back to Philippians chapter 4, where he says, you know, let your requests be made known, and look at the promise that follows the command. He says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He's talking about how it can overflow and affect the way that you feel your heart and what you know in your head. You see, the command, the command is not without a promise. So obey his command and be bold because he promises it's a better way to pray. So from the why we pray, first of all, to the what we say, when we pray, second. Now, I think that there's a direct link between our motivation for our prayer, why we pray, and what we say when we do pray. Because if, let's go back for a moment, if the most common reason that moves us to call on God's name in prayer is our distress, and that's why we pray based on our distress, uh, that means that the, of the words that we say when we pray will be about our comfort. 
Think about that for a moment. If we were to make a list of all the things that you've prayed for in the last year, if somehow we could capture every single time that you prayed and were to list the things that you were praying about, by and large, they are what I would call fourth petition prayers. We're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. Give us today our daily bread. What's that prayer about? Well, certainly it's about food and clothing and shelter. It's about everything that we need until our head hits the pillow tonight, just that, but also way more than that. I mean, it's relief from the groaning. Paul talks about that in the same chapter 8 that we heard a few moments ago, how creation makes us groan in pain because we live in a broken world. Fourth petition prayers. Lord, give me comfort, give me relief. Help me and satisfy me and fill me up because this is hard. Fourth petition prayers, most of the time, maybe if we're feeling a little guilty and our conscience needs to be assuaged. Fifth petition prayers, the one that comes after that, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who who sin against us. You know, we're, we're calling on God not only to forgive us, but to make us forgiving people and to reconcile us and the people we're separated from. Fourth and fifth are the bulk of our prayers. I'll say this, that if that's the main way that we pray, with only two petitions, it's like building a bonfire with only two logs. It's like building a bonfire with only two logs. I want to invite you to use all the petitions. Because when we step back and we look at the Lord's Prayer, what it shows us is a wider way to pray. One that expands our view of what to say and gives us a view of the kingdom of God and his work, one that's beyond ourselves and our relief. It's a shift in focus from our distress to God's desires. What does God desire? What are the longings of his heart? The prayer tells us hallowed be your name. May your name be kept holy in all of creation among those who know you. May we live holy lives, but may even those who don't yet know you honor you. And may your kingdom come. May your kingdom come into this broken world like the goodness in heaven. May that become more and more the goodness that we experience on earth. And may your kingdom come not just to me, but may your kingdom come through me. More on that next week. And may your will be done in my life. And may you give me the ability to let go and to surrender with the things that I think I need and give them up to you for your good and your glory more than my good. That's what we hear Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's headed to the cross. It's not about his comfort. It's about God's glory and for your good. And may you forgive my sins and help me to be a forgiving people. That's his desire for you. And may you keep me from temptation. Deliver me from the evil one who wants nothing more than for you against the will of God for you. He wants nothing more, the evil one does, than for you to die in despair separated from the love of God for eternity. That's what he desires. And the more and more that you pray the Lord's prayer, the more and more it shapes you to desire what he desires. And for that matter, it shapes you to desire him. Say his words and learn to love him him in the process. All right. Why and a what? 
Reasons to pray, words to say. How do we put that into practice today? Let me just invite you to consider a couple of steps. Step one, if you're not committed to praying regularly, I think it's time to start. And to choose a time and a place to do that. And when you do that, maybe you've made a resolution or not because it's the first of the year, some arbitrary day on the calendar. I like resolutions, by the way. To make a list. And to write it down. Because when your desires emerge and the distractions come up because they're inevitable, you have something to return your attention to and people that you remember to be faithful in prayer for. Make a list, write it down, and start praying if you haven't already done so. You might say, well, okay, maybe I'm going to do that, but what am I going to pray for? Here's the first thing that you can begin to pray for that I think is a good prayer. You can pray that God would kindle in your heart a burning desire to talk to him in prayer. You think he's going to say no to that prayer? I mean, I'm not God, but I don't think so. And to use his own words. Ask him to give you a desire to pray and use the words that he's given you to pray and say them slowly enough to think about what they mean. I mean, it's so easy for us to just run right through it. Maybe you grew up in the church. These words are so familiar to you, take them for granted. You're not sure what those words mean. That's why you need to show up next week and be here again because we're going to walk through every single word of the Lord's Prayer and unpack the meaning to make it more personal for you. Start praying Make a list, write it down, and start praying that God would give you a desire to pray, to spend time with him, and to talk to him in prayer. And start using his own words. You know, some of the best conversations in my life have happened next to a campfire. Staring at the fire, it's kind of dark out, people I care about. In prayer, the holy of holies, the great I am, invites you to pull up a chair and talk to him. Hear his command. Pay attention to his promise. And use his words to talk to him today. In the name of Jesus, crucified and risen for you and for me. Amen.